if you don't have that reassurance, especially in that, that beginning of your career of, you know, listen, it's okay to fail. You're going to learn from it. We're going to grow from it. We'll be better for it. Welcome to the Leadership Download Podcast, where we bring you fresh leadership content every week. And on today's podcast, it's actually going to be a two-part podcast series. Um, so Travis, myself, and Steve Aiken, who is uh, one of our friends that we've known through the aviation industry, we recently formed a company called the TC Advisory Group, where we bring leadership training and development to organizations and businesses um, to, to really help them fill the gap for any anything that they might need in leadership. So at our recent retreat that we had in Raleigh, North Carolina, we sat down around uh, a living room and we talked about our experience uh, pretty much growing up in leadership and our experiences working together. Uh, Travis worked with Steve at some point and I worked with Steve at, at one point as well. And so we, we do a lot of reflection about our experience uh, working together and things that we, we've learned uh, throughout that time. So um, TC Advisory Group is a new company that we formed. And so if you want to find out more and connect with us about what we are doing, you can check out our website at tcadvisorygroup.com. Again, tcadvisorygroup.com. So this is really an unplugged episode, part one. uh, And we just talk about pretty much all the lessons that we've learned and our different experiences. So I really hope you enjoy part one of this podcast. And uh, I'll catch you at the end of the episode. No, we're, talk- <laughs> we're talking to each other. Oh, okay. Tonight's Unplugged. It's yeah, different it's tonight. Unplugged. Welcome yeah. to Unplugged. <laughs> 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 so we got our friend Steve here from out of, uh, out of town. We're sitting here talking about life, talking about our work, leadership, everything. Steve, it's great to have you here with us. That's good to be here. When was the last time I was I was on the podcast? It's been been a couple of years. Yeah, he was on a our, one of our earlier podcasts uh, when we were when we were first starting. We were talking about mentorship and uh, you know me and Cameron have a uh, very interesting relationship with Steve. We both had our starts in leadership and management with working with you, so it's kind of an interesting way that we all connected. <laughs> oh, there's some stories there. <laughs> yeah, some that can be told here, probably some that shouldn't be told here. But, yeah, uh, yeah. All, all, uh, all in good, all in good, good, good faith. I think it was what eight, eight years ago in San Francisco. Eight years ago, that yeah. was yeah, two, yeah. Oh man, 2013, 14, yeah. when I ended up working with you. Yeah. No, that was uh, that was some wild times. Wild times, yeah. Yeah. Talk about uh, just kind of being launched into a. A situation and and uh, having to sort it out and do the best you can. That was a wild experience. <laughs> right? And that was that was your first time in commercial. First time in commercial. Wow. Well, first time ever managing people. Wow, I should have been a better leader for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's the fire. Here's a bucket of water. Go. <laughs> it was a small bucket. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, that's our. That's our introduction to leadership in yeah. a lot of ways. It's just yeah. here it is. Go deal with it, and uh, and hopefully you work out. Yeah, hopefully you're still standing at the end of it, right? Yeah. Well, I think all these scenarios were never planned. Yeah. It was kind of you're given the opportunity, you take it, or and if you didn't take it, it would kind of jeopardize your growth. Looking back, a lot of people say, you know, did you ever regret that experience? I'm like, I don't regret it because. If I regretted it, if I never had that experience, I would not be, I would not have that trajectory that I've had. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Steve, let's, let's just get started this way. Uh, what's one thing that you wish you knew then that you know now? You know, trust in people, right? Trust that, that they, they want to do good. Uh, they want to do the right thing. Um, don't assume that you know they're 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 just there to collect a paycheck, right? You know, just um, trust and support them. I think uh, I think I didn't know to rely on that enough mm. in my early on days. Unfortunately, what do you think drove that 
that kind of assumption that you really couldn't trust people? So I think I, you know, in, in, in my first leadership role, um, I was in a pretty tough, um, city, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of rough around the edges, uh, workers. Um, again, they, they, they wanted to show up, they wanted to collect a paycheck, but you know, I grew up in a different type of atmosphere where, yeah, you, you show up, you collect your paycheck, but you always do whatever you can and you go above and beyond for the company. Um, you know, my father was, was, was 21 years in the Navy and 26 years in the local police department as, as a nine one one director. And I always knew like, you just, you just always show up, you always do everything you can. And, and in that community, in that, uh, in that part of the country, it, 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 it was just different. Right. And so I think I, I, uh, I wasn't wise enough to recognize, uh, it doesn't mean something negative. It just means it's, it's just a different way of living life. Yeah. Yep. Cameron, what have you ever, what, how have you learned to trust people more? I think it's giving them the freedom and the opportunities to fail. Because if you don't, I think if you don't give those opportunities, then you'll, they'll never know their potential and you'll never know their potential. And I think Steve, that's what you did for me. Like you, you took the risk. Well, one, bringing me on board. <laughs> that was a big risk. <laughs> that was a big risk. But then you, you presented those opportunities to not necessarily micromanage, but give those opportunities to either shine or fail. And when I did, you carried me back up. Yeah, it was sometimes it was hard failures, but that's where I learned the most on really how to put my big boy manager pants on yeah. and and learn. Yeah, it, it's it's so important just to be there yeah. in the successes and the failures, right? I mean, if you don't have that reassurance, especially in that that beginning yeah. of your career, you know, listen, it's okay to fail. We're gonna learn from it. We're gonna grow from it. We're better for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't have that leader that reassures you of that, man, that's damaging. Yep. That uh, hurts you for a long time. You know, I've often had an interesting question when it comes to aviation because, you know, all of us have that in our background. You know, oftentimes when I've made the statement, you know, we need, we, we need room for failure. That's a scary term when you talk about airplanes and, and aviation and yeah. where there's not a lot of room for failure, you know. So, you know, what are some of the areas that you've seen, like in your, in your career, where you saw, you know, what this is a space that we do have room for for failure and to try things because maybe a lot, maybe we're speaking to someone who's in a highly regulated industry, like 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 we have been in, and things are challenging, and some things are just they are what they are because it, the safety and the procedures has been put in place, and yet you say, hey, we want you to try things and fail, you know. <clears throat> That's a that's a that's a unusual statement for someone who's in a highly regulatory uh, operation to hear something like that. Yeah, yeah, no. So um, you're you're so spot on. And in in aviation, I kept hearing the 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 phrase "it's a zero fail mission," right? And a lot of them are, right? I mean, you know, listen, you 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 can't assume safety um, in any way in in aviation. One of the greatest. Uh, leaders I've, I've probably worked for in my career, you know, I think his phrase was, um, we don't assume safety, so our customers can. And I, I thought, you know, that's, that's brilliant, right? So, so we, we are, we're doing walk arounds, we're doing all our checks that we're supposed to do in the industry. Um, so, so everybody else can relax and don't have to worry about it. Um, but I think what's, what's important is no matter how hard you try, how hard focused you are, how trained you are, uh, how many different layers of, of um, you know, safety nets there are, things are going to happen, right? Yeah. But you absolutely have to learn from them. You've got to understand through cause, you got to investigate, and you have to grow from them. Uh, but I think, I think the, the <laughs> one of my favorite other phrases is, it's going to fail, fail fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, just learn from it and just then grow from it. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, the biggest mistake we make, and especially in, like I said, in a regular, highly regulatory industry is that, you know, we're not necessarily talking about 
failures in service or failures are, you know, we didn't do a proper walk around on an aircraft or, you know, the certain checklists were not completed and therefore there was a, a failure of whatever. I think the, the thing we forget, and I think this is where our managers and in these industries don't think about is we're really talking about trying new things, attempting to lead in a different way, your people. Yeah. You know, we live in a, we live in an industry. We work, we've worked in industries where we rely heavily on our equipment, but we have to find, we have to find ways to realize that the equipment we use, you know, helps us have the potential to be able to do a job well done, but it's the people, it's the people that actually get it done. And that is where the, the research and the trying things and trying to connect with your, your, your team members better really sets you apart. Yeah. And say, hey, try and fail, meaning, hey, we're going to try to connect with the team better here. We're going to try to communicate our our uh, our expectations a little differently. We're gonna we're going to try to uh, motivate our employees uh, differently. And that's often the, the problem is, is in a highly regulatory industry, we tend to treat our people the same way. We treat them as something that needs to be regulated mm-hmm. instead of treating them as the actual human beings that they are. The hopes and dreams that they have and we we kind of lose that uh that humanness and they, they yeah. that and they become a number yeah you gotta humanize those numbers right yeah so so how do we how do we begin to make that shift and as keeping the process and the the equipment and the tools over here and then moving to having where we treat and understand that our our greatest asset is the the people that come in to work for us each and every day. I think that's the biggest challenge in leadership is because we've all been at senior manager levels where we have to report financials, metrics, you know, there's all these goals, numerical metrics that we have to meet, whatever that might be. And then I think we struggle with the balance between meeting those metrics, worrying about our financials and then looking after our people. Yeah. And then I think it's it's where you get the most return, the greater returns is putting your investment in and your time in the people. And that's probably pays 10 times more than it would meeting certain metrics, financials or whatever. We're not saying that it's important, but you kind of have to work that right proper balance, whatever works for you. Yeah. I mean, so you know, when you change your communication style, you're 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 starting to change a culture, mm. right? And so, so this was interesting, right? So when you and I were in a city together, um, you know, and, and, and I would leave, people were, they liked it or not, they were used to my communication style, right? That's what they knew. Uh, and that's what they had adjusted to. Um, and, and then, you know, if, if I'm out of station and you're, you're taking care of things, which by the way, phenomenal job years later. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> They they then have to readjust to your communication style, right? And and so, uh, and it ended up being I transitioned out of the station into a different station, and, and you took over that one. And so you you had I had I had changed the culture, and then you had to reintroduce a new culture, right? And I've heard you know culture can change you know from six to eighteen to twenty four months. Mm-hmm. That's no easy task. Yeah, I mean, and and that's. You know, I, I can look back and I can recognize it was easy for, for, for me. It was easy for you, right? Because this is what we wanted. This is what we believed in. It was the team that was most impacted. Yeah. They, they really, they weren't impacted in, in, a, in a great, great way because they, okay, change from that leader to this leader, now to this leader. That's tough. Yeah. And, and I find that, that that's tough because, by the time you're rolling out a new policy or you're rolling, rolling out a new expectation, you've thought it through. Yeah. You have spent time uh, justifying why it's the right move. You, you've had conversations and you are now decided we're, we're walking and we're marching in this direction now. And, and for all intents and purposes, this is the best move we can make. And that's easy for you to do because you have spent the time to, to get that information. And I, I love the I love to really uh, point out, you know, when you get into management, and especially once you reach that GM senior manager level, at some point, ma- the job becomes a 
deep part of your life, no matter how you want to spend yeah, it. It's part of your DNA. So you think about the job consistently every day, whether it's a Saturday, Sunday, you're thinking about the job. You're, you're, you're consistently thinking about what's going on. What, you know, what set, what things do I need to do? You know, starting Monday or, or if, if there, maybe there's things going on over the weekend, but here's the thing, your people, the people on your team, they are, when they go home, they, for the most part, they're not thinking about that job anymore. Mm -hmm. So they're operating at a different awareness than you are. So when you change policies, you really got to be cognitive of the, the the damage that can be done by rapidly trying to change things in a new direction. Man, I wish <laughs> I, you know, I, I've, I've had phenomenal mentors and I wish I was smart enough to know that I needed to ask certain questions. And that was, that was one of them, right? Like, how do you, how do you become aware of what's, what's in your team's head and what's important and what's struggling for them? You can talk with them. But then they've got to have the the emotional awareness and the in the emotional intelligence to recognize it within themselves too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, man, I wish uh, I, I wish I knew a lot of things, right? Yeah, and that's the purpose, right? <clears throat> once once you look back on those days, though, but they were also so edifying, right? I mean, there was so many things you learned, and you know, you have to. You know, I, I really tell people now, looking back, I, I tell people, you know, you really need to be careful who you allow in to influence you when you're early in your management career. Yeah. Because um, some people may even have good intentions for you, but they they just might not be leading you in the direction that is best for you. And they may not have the capability. Right. right. And they don't teach you this stuff in school. No. You only learn through experience because that's what you rely on your experience. They don't teach you how to deal with difficult people in school. They don't tell you, they don't tell you how to hold people accountable. They don't tell you how to manage people. And so it only comes with experience. And, and I think a lot of time companies don't teach you, Hey, I'm, this is how not to get sued. Right. Don't, don't end up in court because you don't say this and don't do that. Um, you know, they might teach you teach you the basics of time management and coaching people, but not sitting down and relating and and, yeah. and really getting to the what the, the mean of of uh, the people's purposes are, right? So, man, you know, one thing I've I have never mastered in my career. I've gotten better at it, right? But I'll go into a position, I'll go into a new uh, city, a new station, whatever it is, and I'm the leader I want to be. I'm calm, cool, collected. The, the 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 local team can throw anything that they want at me, right? And I've and I've got it, right? We'll we'll head on the right track. Uh, we'll 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 turn attitudes around. We'll start turning morale around. Whatever needs to be done, we'll do it. But what I've not done well at is after time the corporate pressures. Um, and you know that there's there 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 can be. You know, there, there can be less than polished um, uh, leaders, bosses. Um, and I, I don't think just because you're a senior position in a company, I don't mean I don't think that means you're you're a senior leader. You're a business manager at that point, a business unit manager. Um, you're a number. You're a you're a metric that needs to move this way. And if it's not moving fast enough, we're going to have some challenging conversations. And, and so the need to want to please everybody for me, right? I need to please the person that needs the metric to move this way at this speed, but my team needs it to go like this to build the foundation to get there and get there healthy and sustainable. Mm -hmm. Man, I've never done well at handling that pressure. And I, you know, that, that's something that I still have to keep, keep working on with myself. You know, um, one of the things that I, I, I used to do when I was younger is I, I used to like to play golf. I had a couple of friends <clears throat> and, um, one of my one of my friends in high school, he worked at a golf uh, golf shop, and he uh, it's a fun job. Yeah, <laughs> so we got you know we got to play for golf for free and things. But one one of the benefits was we got to work with the golf pro sometimes when they were you know they weren't working. They they'd go out and give us some pointers and stuff. And and I remember I was learning that you know try to hit my driver straight for the first time because you know I had a a real bad curve. You still know? can't do that. <laughs> and, and he was giving me some guidance and some pointers and, and, you know, and 
and finally it got to a point where I could hit the ball fairly straight, but it was very uncomfortable. Cameron, you know this too. You know, it's a very uncomfortable stance. Mm -hmm. And I started, you know, went out and played, you know, nine holes. And the first couple of holes, I was hitting the ball straight. And I was like, man, this is good. And then we got to, we got to a point where I was actually hitting, I think I was hitting my three wood. And I was, you know, trying to use the same proper stance and trying to line up on the ball well. But I knew I, I needed a pretty uh, good shot. So I was like, all right, I need to hit this ball well. You know what I did? Hmm. I went back to my old stance. So it was like almost any time there was any pressure for me to do well, I immediately revert, revert back to the old grips, the old whatever, right? So, because that's what's normal for you. You know, it was like the old hand clasping example, you know, you hold your hands like this, this feels, <clears throat> you, do, you do it this way because it's comfortable. Yeah. You move them one, this is uncomfortable. Right, right. So when the pressure happens, man, you're, you're going to go back to, you're going to go back to what you know. So you really have to fight it tooth and nail to be able to, to beat those habits and to consistently have people who pull you back and kind of guide you back in the right direction. Uh, so true product of your own environment, right? Yeah. So surround yourself in the right environment and you'll be the right product. What, uh, what, what do you think your, your, your biggest lesson or biggest growth was out of uh, that first city for us. There was a lot, huh? There was a lot, yeah. There's there was a, a lot, lot going there. I don't know how to word it. There's, I can do it. There's a lot that just like stick out. Like, well, that was a memorable moment. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I think it's it was also trying to keep myself personally intact and put together yeah. in certain situations because what I was like twenty or 21 being responsible for i don't even know how many people 150 people yeah and coming out of a frontline job it was just like <clears throat> a lot a lot of emotions i think all at the same time yeah you'd worked with a different clientele yeah. mm -hmm. a different customer yep um and then all of a sudden you're in this <laughs> this crazy world mm -hmm. um i think the couple things I learned is really how to see close mentorship. I think that's what I learned a lot and how to receive feedback properly okay. and not be defensive, asking questions, resilience, of course, yeah, <laughs> being, yeah. being, being resilient. <laughs> and I think learning how to connect with a group that I was not familiar with in terms of, it was a completely different culture. A culture that I've never really experienced. Right. Uh, I went from working on it with a group of like 30, 40 people to like a group of 150. Yeah. And uh, learning everyone and connecting with people, it wasn't easy. Yeah. I connected with probably 30, 40% of the people, but the others, it was just like a hello. Yeah. Um, so just trying to find, I think also finding my style. What style did I want to emulate and really finding what worked for me and what didn't right. and that in those cases, you know, as, as, as I did, you know, a lot of traveling in different stations and different countries and all over the, the US. I was so blessed to meet so many phenomenal people. And I remember in our first station together, there was a, a gentleman there. I think I think he was a, a supervisor at the time. Um, he he was a, a, a such a committed person to the team. He had such a um, uh, a feeling of I have such responsibility to run this operation successfully for the company for for the customer, uh, take care of the team. I remember and, and I and I found this out probably two weeks after he um, he had been doing this, um, where he would work on the AM. He'd take the train home because apparently his car had broken down. Uh, take the train home, have dinner with his family, shower, change clothes, go back, sleep at work, get up because he had he had to, to work at 4 a.m. and the train wasn't running that early. So he'd sleep at work and then get up and, and, and work at 4 a.m. He did that for, I think it was about three weeks until we found a solution for him. It, it, I just the commitment the without complaining without the no i need to be here I need, the customer needs me here my team needs me here it just it still is something that is so profound um 
man, it, it, it's just phenomenal, that level of commitment. Yeah, another thing I learned is being available for your team. Mm. I think that's what what when we work together that's what the team valued the most yeah is popping their head in the office before they started work before they went to punch in or they're on their way out a simple 30 second and one minute conversation yeah the world to them yeah even though for you it was a, oh just hello or whatever you have to learn to like drop whatever you were doing and just focus your attention on that yeah, I'd call those like 10-minute investments, right? Right, right? Like you just you go in and you, you invest your 10 minutes because I mean that's you might be several layers above the frontline staff, but ultimately we're not here without the frontline staff. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of leaders, a lot of managers, they forget that. Mm-hmm. Man, they so forget that, right? So invest in your team. Just talk with them for a few minutes. Show them you care about them. Show you're interested in, hey, man, how's that beautiful six-month baby of yours at home, right? Like knowing your team will pay dividends, and it's the right thing to do. It becomes your family. It becomes your second family. And my my mindset, especially in that role, my first leadership role, was like, okay, when I was a frontline person, what did I want? Mm -hmm. Right? I had to go back into that headspace. What did I want from my leader? What did I want from my manager? Yeah. And then I try to give that back. Yeah. And it's not easy sometimes because oftentimes you can forget. Yeah. There's there are times where you just forget where you came from. There, yeah. there you have those moments. And then you're like, wait, you have to like recenter yourself. Be like, oh, I wouldn't want that if I was in that in that frontline role. Yeah. So why am I doing this? <laughs> so you you just wrote a book, right? You're going yeah. through oh, you know, yeah. that the whole process. Is this something you wrote about in it? Somewhat, yeah, a little bit, awesome. a little bit, yeah, more so of you. That that yeah. that uh, that's a scary scary yeah. thought right there. I can't, wait, I can't wait to read it now. <laughs> There's a chapter that says Steve Aiken. Oh man, that's uh, that's that's gonna be a that's gonna be a chapter to read. <laughs> awesome. Now don't you start writing books either. <laughs> It's coming. Oh man! There's no way. There's no way the book doesn't get written about Travis without Steve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's a you know. There's some relationships you have that's going to be like you know you'll you'll get together you 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 may be friends for a couple of years, but this is this relationship has been pretty pretty steady. We've been able to communicate for a couple of years. The fact that you know, I I grew up under your under your leadership for that period of time. And that we, that we actually were friends after that's kind of an amazing feat of its own, you know, just, just learning to, we all kind of grew together in that, yeah. in those moments um, that, that set us apart, you know? And I think one thing you were talking about Cameron, I think it's really important. And this is something I've really started leaning into more and just, it's something that I wish more, more people in management and leadership and especially, especially at the corporate level would understand you know, when you've got a frontline team member mm-hmm. who is making a little bit above the minimum wage or, or a little bit above, you know, what the living wages is in the city, you know, their their lively problems are look so much different than yeah. someone who is in a management position. And, That's so true. And is, and is making big, more money. You know, um, you know, the, the things that changed for me, you know, when I was able to move up the ladder enough to, to the point where I went from having to change my own oil to I just drop it off at the Jiffy Lube or wherever, you know, take it wherever to get a car, you know, get an oil change or I'm buying nicer vehicles because I can afford it. And, and, you know, I don't want to go too deep into this, but there's that understanding of we need to seek, we need to pursue understanding with our people as much as we possibly can. I'm not saying we give them a free pass, but we have to understand that People's lives are challenging and not everybody gets gets to have what we have. And, and when we start leading from a position of maybe not assuming the worst of people right out of, the, out of the gate and try to be a little bit more empathetic to the situation, oftentimes people will go the, go the distance for you. They will, yeah. they will do things like sleeping in, you know, sleeping in the, the office or the break room to be there to, to be able to do things for you. When you see those kinds of things, you need to recognize that. You need to help them reconcile that. Um, that's that's the difference maker. You know, um, 
the conversations that everybody's having now, right? I mean, all the news articles, all the all the major business owners, all they want to talk about is is, is retention problems. And you know, I mean, there's money gets you in the door. Money gets people to show up. Culture gets people to stay. Yeah. You know, that's the deal. I mean, there are jobs out there that pay extremely well. I mean, we won't name names of companies, but there's companies out there that actually pay fairly decently for an entry level position. But yet they're they're running low on people who want those jobs. Why? Because the culture, the culture is awful. Yeah. Um, so we, we have to begin to be mindful of what are the culture? What's the culture you're creating? Um, for me at this stage of my life, I, I, have often said, you know, I'm more, I'm more interested in the people I'm working with than what I'm doing. And if it, I would, I mean, I would make massive life-changing decisions that would potentially, you know, cause me to lose, you know, hundreds of dollars a month or even thousands of dollars a month just to have a different culture to live in. The culture matters that much to people. And people today have more options than ever before. If a culture doesn't fit them, they, they move on. So it's like, so, so we're at a stage now where I think people are realizing that you can't throw money at this and expect it to be fixed. You have to, you have to start fixing the culture. What's one thing you guys have seen or that, that you believe actually helps improve the culture? in these let's let's go with like entry the entry level community that we that we've led most of our careers you know one of the things you know showing that employee that you care about your your staff and your employees right so there's so many ways to do it of course there's the the the, the very simple easy slap hey let's go get pizzas every friday or mm -hmm. donuts every saturday morning that's nice right it doesn't it doesn't solve problems um and, and after a while, I honestly, I, th I think it's probably a slap in the face of, of, of some employees, yeah. right? They're like, this this doesn't do me any better in any way. Thanks for feeling my belly for, for, for 30 minutes, but let's talk a bigger picture, right? So one of my go-tos, you know, we, we've obviously worked in, in, in an environment where, um, you know, it's, it's heavy with equipment, right? And so um, I, I've always worked, how do we keep, you know, good equipment? in shape and keep it clean. So if you're driving around a vehicle on the airport, it's, you know, it, it, it's fully functioning. It's obviously it's safe, but it's clean, right? Just, you know, we've, we've all been there where, Hey, the equipment's old, it's beat up. We need to fix it up. We need to clean it up. The seats are torn, but Hey, we can't afford to have that vehicle out of the operation. So we're just going to have to figure something out guys. Right. Mm -hmm. But to come up with a solution to replace the torn seat in the driver's seat, right? Just those simple, very simple, basic things that says, hey, I care about you. I care about your work conditions. It's very, very simple. Mm. But it shows. It makes a big impact. Like, hey, all right, he cares about me because he's making sure what I'm using every day makes my job easier. It makes it more comfortable and it makes sure it's it's safe. That was always my kind of go-to. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another thing is listening. Listening and speaking less, not trying to always be the center of attention as a manager. Because, you know, when you walk as a manager or leader in the room, people expect you to talk. It's like, no, like I'm here to listen. And when you start to listen and speak less and do stuff about what people are talking about, and it might be minor things. For you, it might not matter, but for them, it means the world. And you do stuff about it. That's where you start bridging the gap. And then people are starting to come up to you for more different things. And um, I think us as leaders, we need to learn to listen more and speak less. Yeah. Because I think if we learn to listen, we can make some pretty good change in our work environments if we just simply just listen. You got to follow up too, right? Yeah. You know, one of the basic one ones is just, you know, write down from your meetings, write down in your notebook, mm -hmm. you know, what, what was the topic? What are things you need to follow up on? However you need to remember it, man, follow up. I mean, your, your team will plow through walls for you if you're the champion for them. And I think it does, doesn't go with work stuff. I think a lot of employees sometimes or team members, they like coming up to you and just 
venting about what's going on at home or something personally. There's nothing you can do about it, but all you can do is just listen. And so following up on that stuff, you know, maybe it's a newborn. Oh, how's your little one doing? Or, you know, how's your mom doing in the hospital or whatever? Those little touch points go a long way because I know those type of things went a long way for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you, you talked about, you know, listen, you know, people that are making the uh, and, and, and I don't know if it's phrased correctly, but the the living wage in a city. Yeah. Right. Um, man, you get a flat tire is different oh, yeah. for, for for them. Right. Like they're going to have that angst and that worry and that stress of, OK, is it a fifteen dollar plug or is it a hundred and fifty dollar tire? And that's a big difference that somebody's just making their bills. And so to your point, right, listening to them, maybe you can't do a bloody thing about it, but listening to them, being empathetic, supporting them, and, and then coming back to them saying, hey, man, how'd that turn out for you? Is there anything, you know, any way I can support you? Yeah, that's, you're, you're so right on that. I remember I had a, uh, I had an, an employee uh, that used to always come to me and vent. I mean, it was, it, it got pretty brutal at times, but he would come to me to vent, vent oh, you know, every couple of weeks and he'd spend 10, 15 minutes on the ramp or in the office and he would just vent, I, you know, nobody cares about me, you know, nobody values what we do. And I would, I would have a good, con- I would have a conversation with him and I would do my best to encourage him and to say, you know, you know, I'm listening to what he had to say. And the funny thing is at the end of almost every one of those conversations, he was like, thank you for listening to me. Please don't fire me. You know, and it was, that was the relationship we had is he just needed somewhere to vent. He needed to know that someone out there was listening to him. And, and oftentimes I was able to formulate things that I could fix. Yeah. You know, there was a door handle on a truck that wasn't opening correctly. So suddenly I'm able to go to, the maintenance and say, can you fix the door handle? Yeah. Or, you know, there's, you know, there's little simple things that I, I, you know, that I could get working or, or fix or adjust that made his day that much better. You yeah. know, we're, we're looking at such a large picture uh, things as leaders that oftentimes the little small things get lost in the uh, kind of lost in the weeds of our day. And we forget that, uh, not having heat in a truck in the middle of the winter is a major problem. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of the things that uh, I, I discovered in a lot of the stations was the basic necessities are not being met. And why, why would anyone want to work in that kind of environment? Yeah, that's, um, but again, then you, you, you come in, you change uh, the culture by, by addressing those, basic needs to be honest with yeah. you right maybe a, a poor leader just didn't prioritize that in the budget um whatever you know caused that to happen right so now you have to really reinvent the culture and man you know you, you don't want your staff to turn over you don't want your team and the, the experience and in the drive and the passion for what can be a really awesome job to go out the door just because they weren't treated right and so to, to, to make them believe again that, hey, the company cares about you, we're going to take care of you, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a tough challenge to, to do. I mean, how do, you, how do you really focus on changing culture and station? I mean, what, what, are, what are things that you really did that you thought were really meaningful? Well, I think a lot of the things we've already said really are the things that matter. Um, you know, one you know, one of the stations that I was I was assigned to, I ended up going on what, what I almost called a listening tour for the first week and a half that I was there. Um, you know, I pulled in, you know, basically every single manager on the team that was there. Um, I pulled in the admin staff. I pulled in the, you know, the accounting staff, the training department. And I allowed each of them to get, I gave each person 30 minutes to basically just give their spiel on, What's going on? What do they do? You know, what problems do we have? What solutions do they have? Yeah. Why is this broken? Um, and those conversations were good. But then I started to find who were the who were the decision makers, the influencers in the front in our frontline team. Who are the people who, if they said they gave the they gave the thumbs up and said, you know, trust this guy, 
that 90% of the people in the team would follow through. Mm -hmm. And those are the people I had come in and sit down with me. And interestingly enough, you know, I wasn't sure if they would take it seriously. You know, I wasn't, I was like, you know, they, they could come in and just be like, you know, where's the, where's the pizza and want to leave. But they, they literally came in and sat down and had literally a, a list of questions to ask me. Yeah. What are you going to change? Hey, the old leader done it this way. We're, 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 we're hearing that you're going to completely flip this place upside down. And then you can give them assurances of, hey, you know what? I'm not the kind of person who's going to come in and, and completely just flip everything day one. We're going to we're going to strategically walk through these things and we're going to see what needs to be fixed. And we're going to do them one by one. And you're going we're going to we're going to have good conversations. We're going to communicate. And when you guys feel like you're not being communicated with, you have my number. Call me. Yeah. And we and we're going to do our best to to get things back on track. So the biggest culture changer for me outside of just the basic slogans and stuff that everybody uses is learn to communicate. A lot of times what ends up happening is people get left behind because they're not being communicated to and connecting. Yeah. When you communicate. And so that means, so what does that mean? That means basically if a directive mood comes out or we're changing in a new direction, that means every manager on your team, every supervisor on your team, anyone who's in a position of authority, number one, they should know what's going on from top to bottom and they should be able to explain to everyone else on the team what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think the town hall model at times works where you just go down. I remember those times when I would just go down and sit in the middle of a, a group of 15 guys who are on breaks and just say, shoot. What you got? I'd go sit in the break room for 30, 40 minutes and not do anything but just sit there. And it would start slow, and then suddenly it would just take off. And take the faucet's wide open. Yeah, there'd be rapid fire. Oh, well, I heard this about the corporate office. Hey, I heard about this. I heard they're going to change this. I heard we're going to lose this. And number one, 90% of the stuff they brought up, I'm like, Deborah, I haven't heard nothing about that. Uh, you're good to go. And you just kind of you get to eliminate a lot of gossip and a lot of concern that gets created out of thin air just by simply saying, hey, I'm available. What do you, what do you guys got? Yeah. Um, that really sets things apart and creates a new culture. I think another thing, and I mean, this is something we could probably talk to as a group, is I think you have to begin to um, have your expectations of what is good and bad behavior. You know, we have you have to you have to know what is good, what is bad, and and set the standard, and and you have to you have to lead from that. You yeah. Know? When people don't meet those expectations, you have to coach, you have to, you know, you have to discipline at times, unfortunately at times. But so here's, here's the thing about that. And, and sorry to jump in on you there. Right. I think there's such a negative connotation when it comes to coaching or having challenging conversations, because I think, man, and this is something I'm really passionate about it, You know, when you, you've got a good frontline person, we're going to demote you to a lead frontline person. When you're, you're a good you know, lead frontline person, we're going to demote you to the next level and so on, so on, so on. And, and, and very rarely that I've seen in organizations, are they trained on how to have a challenging conversation, a, a, a course correcting conversation? It doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't, it's not a, 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 a beat up fest. It's not a, you suck. It's a, Hey man. So, so this is what happened. Let's unpack that. Let's, why'd you make those decisions? Okay. I get that here's what we should probably do in the future. And this is why. Um, and, and so, you know, listen, we're, we're just going to course correct here, right? You don't suck because of this. It's just, this is what we got to do moving forward. But it's not taught. It's not supported. It's not provided to say, this is the guidance of how you, you coach and, and develop your team and, and course correct them. Every team needs course correction. Man, does that such a, a big gap in in frontline and, and just I would say all throughout the ranks, how to course correct people in a positive way? You know, I think the the struggle for me, I, I think this is something I, I discovered only really not that long ago, is really trying to study conflict resolution and trying to, you know, have those difficult conversations is 
oftentimes those conversations are so difficult is because we've waited too long. Yeah. You know, I, I like to give this, like the example of, I mean, you want to shovel the pile, but it's small. Yeah. Oftentimes we want to shut, we want, we need to shovel the problems while we can still handle it with just a, a single shovel. Yeah. Most of the time we wait till we need the, the excavator in the dump truck. And at that point, the conversation is so hard to have. And there's number one, you probably have a lot of built up animosity towards the person at that point. Everybody's angry. They feel targeted. Where if you had just started having conversations early on, and this is why I believe feedback is so important. And it's something that's lacking in, in all levels of, of, of business today. You know, people shouldn't hear this neg the negative feedback for the first time as they're getting uh, walked out the door. You know, people shouldn't hear that, you know, they're not performing well only at their performance review. Yeah. The, the, there should be clear feedback that's happening constantly. That would say by the time someone's getting a negative performance review put put in their, their file, it's be, it's been told to them at least a half a dozen times. Yeah. But they've had opportunities to course correct or before you're walking someone out the door. I've literally seen organizations where zero coaching has been done. Nothing's been, and then we're literally walking someone out the door. And I was, I'm literally sitting here like, well, well, wait a minute. Have we had a conversation with them? Where's the coaching been? Well, they're not meeting expectation. Well, when were they told? Well, they've been, they've been failing for six months, but have we had a conversation with them? Are they aware that they're not meeting expectation? And most of the time is no. And when they go out that door, all those lessons that they learned to help make the team better, they're gone. They're gone. The organization's lost that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think organizations at times are cognizant of when when they turn over a position, a person. Um, and they're, they're losing. And that feedback needs to be part of the culture. If it's not part of the culture, what you end up wanting is – where it's not only you and your leaders or management team giving feedback, but it's team members giving feedback to each other. Yeah. That's where you ultimately want it is where they feel yeah, peer comfortable peer to peer. Um, I know in, in our industry with aviation, you know, safety was a big part of that. And to have that safety culture where it's not only just the leaders holding their team members accountable, but where team members start holding each other accountable. And that's hard to get to. It's not easy to get to that point. Right. But once you get there, it's like such a well-oiled machine that you have going on. That's success. Yeah. You've done phenomenal as a leader yeah. in supporting your team, whether it's because you just got the heck out of the way and the team had the the drive and the know-how to do that, or you you provided them material and coached and, and counseled and however that happened. And that's awesome when that happens. Now let's just take this and look at it from a different perspective for a second. So I mean, for for the value of this podcast, I mean, we really we talk about we're just talking about the idea of retention. You know, people spend. Let me rephrase that. Companies spend a crazy amount of money on trying to on their on their hiring process. Uh, you know, I, I've got a, a close friend who who works kind of in the retention space and trying to help companies, you know, be able to retain their employees and the amount of money that's spent with ZipRecruiter and all these other platforms and interviews. And then, I mean, the amount of the amount of effort and time that is used to recruit these people. And there's companies out there that are saying, I don't understand why we keep getting only, you know, poor resumes. Well, you know who your biggest billboard is? It's your, <laughs> it's your current employees. Mm -hmm. It's that employee that you just walked out the door who, you know, really wasn't given the proper opportunity to be coached. It was never coached before, right. but there they went. And there they went and, and there they go telling their family members, their friends, their, their the people they go to church with. They'll never have the, 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 the people who are close to him, which is, could be potentially 50, 60, 70 people who end up seeing it with social media today. You know, it, it goes, it, the story rapidly goes out. And then suddenly you be, you're marked as a, this is not somewhere you really want to work. Yeah. It's so, so back in the old days, right. You know, somebody walked out the door, their, their uh, bullhorn, right. was very, very small. Yeah. 
today there's websites that you can review employers you know you've got social media you've got a larger bullhorn to get it out and and listen one person says it okay right everybody's gonna take it with a grain of uh, sand but by the time you get the fifth and the tenth and the twentieth and the fiftieth review, that's not so great. Yep. Yeah. You're now that employer, and good luck reinventing yourself and that perception of your your organization. Yeah. Yeah. So so understanding that your your greatest marketing tool is the people who currently work for you. If yeah. they're for you and they they say, hey, you know what, it's a great place to work. They you know it's not. You know, it's 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 a safe place to work. I feel valued there. Then suddenly, you they go and get their high quality friends who, who want to work in an environment, and suddenly you 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 have what you need. We're not in an environment where people sh- shouldn't be able to find people to work. Yeah, it, we if you find yourself there, it's because you've put yourself there. Yeah, and you have to, and we're in that place now where either you reinvent yourself and create you create an environment which people want to be in or die as a company. Well, I hope you enjoyed that awesome discussion of Travis and Steve and I having really just a candid, unplugged conversation on life and leadership and talking about everything that we've learned about, um, both through working together and uh, growing up in leadership. So we hope you enjoyed it. And again, so the three of us, we recently started a professional development and training company focused on leadership that we provide to organizations and also individuals and um, if you want to find out more about what we're doing with tc advisory group you can check out our website tcadvisorygroup.com and also you can tune in next week on part two of our discussion uh, where we continue discussions talking about life leadership and just having a good conversation on leadership and really well that's where we get at the heart of why we started tc advisory group so i really hope you enjoyed the discussion and the episode today and really hope you tune in next week in part two of our unplugged discussion thank you so much and feel free to connect with us again at tcadvisorygroup.com that's where you'll find all our social media platforms that we're uh, connected to and uh, also find out more about uh, the work that we're doing for leadership training and development. Thank you again for your support and for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.